I like it when I think I'm going a particular direction and I think, you know, we like to blame things on God, don't we? So I don't, I don't know if I should blame this on God or, if, or what, but uh, earlier this week I was journaling in Leviticus and um, our Bible reading plan took us, is taking us through Leviticus right now. How many of you are reading through Leviticus with me? Anybody? Is it tough if it's is it tough sledding through Leviticus? You know, we're we're reading about things like uh, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering. This morning I read about how to handle uh, leprosy and um, how they respond to leprosy in the body and also leprosy that could show up in your clothing or in your house. And um, man, it's just so edifying, you know, and um, the truth is, you know, I know that it's tough to read through those, but how many of you also know that it says in the New Testament, all scripture is given by God, right, and, and it's good for edification, it's good to teach us how to do it, how not to do it, how to keep doing it, how to do it better, that's what basically it's saying. That's what Paul, I believe, is saying to Timothy. This all scripture is good for these things. And but at the same time, when I when you know Leviticus comes up in my reading plan, I'm like, oh Lord, help me, help me to get something out of it. And um, so I like it better when I have notes. And so this is kind of scary. Um, if you thought Hans preached long last week, look out. No, uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not a long thing. All right, but it's going to take me some time to unpack this because I really kind of wanted to go this other direction, and I really feel like I'm supposed to talk about this. Is um, as I was reading about the sin offering and the trespass offering, so in Leviticus four and five, and I'm not going to read through all of that because it's a lot to uh, take in. But if I could. If I could just quickly tell you guys what I observed in that portion of Scripture was that sin is tedious. And um, that's what I journaled on. Sin is tedious. But then I looked up the, the meaning of tedious and I thought, well, I don't know if, you know, because a lot of times when we think of a job, sometimes those repet repetitive uh, jobs that are just seem like they're brainless, and, and, and you just do them. And, and I thought, I don't know if that really applies to sin. And then I thought, yeah, it does, because oftentimes what we're doing when we're sinning is we're just reverting back to what we've grown used to. We're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. But what really stuck out to me is, is that the sacrifices for the sin was just so, ah, you know, because if you think about it, one of the sins, you had to lay your hand on the animal, you know, and, and I'm just doing, it wasn't a matter of, you know, like gently touching it. It was, it, I, I went and looked it up and studied it. It's talking about putting some pressure on it so that as the life flows out of that animal, you feel your, your, the weight of your sin is what is being transferred and you're feeling the life come out of that animal. I don't know about you guys, but when I think about that, I think how much that would grieve my heart because I would probably like my, that animal. 
You know, the, thing I, the closest thing I can come to is my dog. You know, and if I had to sacrifice my dog for my sins, that it would grieve me greatly to do that. And, and you would think that if you had to go through that process, that probably sin wouldn't be quite as attractive. But if you read the rest of the story about the Israelites, you realize it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference. There's even one of those that, that is described there where the whole congregation had to come and, and put their hand on the animal. And, and I'm sure it wasn't a matter of everybody could you know, reach in and put their hand on the animal. It was, it was probably just a cycle, cycling through of people touching the head of the animal and then walking through and, until everybody had accomplished that. And then the priest proceeded to do the sacrifice. And, and I, when I read stuff like that, I go, man, God, what in the world were you thinking? But, but we know that what God was thinking is that he was saying, and it tells us this in Hebrews, that these are shadows. They're a copy of what is in heaven. And so as, as I looked at that in Leviticus, I thought, man, it's so tedious. And, and when I <laughs> did a little bit of study on the word tedious, I found this really good in fact, it said, and I believe it was in Merriam-Webster's dictionary uh, online that said, perhaps the best definition for tedious was coined back in around 1775 or something like that, or 1785, I don't remember exactly the date, but in the 1700s, when, when a particular guy, I think by the name of Bailey, said... Tedious is wearisome by continuance. And when I read that, I said, yes, sin is tedious because it's wearisome by its continuance. Now, you could say, well, boy, so far this is a really edifying sermon. Really feeling good about this right now. But the reason why I wanted to kind of start with this is because the other thing that I observed in, in this is that God was very intentional in providing us a copy or a shadow. Now, keep in mind, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt. They have come out of a, a very pagan system that says Pharaoh is God. And they're coming out and they're meeting the one true God who has led them out of Egypt and there's all sorts of symbolism there. But he's led them out of Egypt, and now he's showing them these. And he's even told Moses, these are a copy of the things. These are the things that you're going to do are representative of what is already taking place in heaven. So as we look at this, um, I, and I just hope this all fits together for you guys, but... Um, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 7 with me? Because my other observation is this, that God was very intentional. God was very intentional in putting these things together. 
Now in Hebrews, before we get into Hebrews chapter 7, I just want to draw your attention to some things. And, and Hans, I think if I remember correctly, you used Hebrews a little bit last week, didn't you? And so um, Hebrews is a great book to read, but it's a little bit difficult to study. And I'll show you why. Uh, because there's things that you have to dig into. But it starts off in chapter 1 of Hebrews saying, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, when he had by himself purged our sins, whose sins? How many of them? Say that again. All of your sins? All means all, doesn't it? Okay. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. If you go on to chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And, and I could go through and, and hit highlights here, uh, like in chapter 3, Beware, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Such, such good things, but what, what the writer of Hebrews is, is essentially saying here is that God has been intentional all along, but in these last days, he's no longer speaking to us in shadows. He's bringing the kingdom of God straight to us. And he's saying, in various times, I spoke to prophets and I spoke, spoke through those, and, and these things were done. And, but now, I'm speaking to you through my son, who is my exact representative. So, I want to I jump to, to chapter 6, because the writer is dealing with some very important stuff. And before we can really understand why Hebrews is, is something that is hard to just take a cursory read through. Um, I want us to understand something. Uh, in, my, in my study Bible, it has this little heading above chapter 6. It says, the peril of not progressing. But in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, let me 
say that in saying, let us go on, he's not saying, let's stop doing those things. But he's saying there's more to our relationship with God than just going around, and if I could say it this, this bluntly, because I, th- I think it's going to say this here in a minute, is it's time for us to move on to the meat. And that means we have to deal with some stuff in our, in our own lives um, because then it goes on to say, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, um, a lot of times people want to, and I love, love the guy that I read about this from, is, uh, he says people like to use this if you're into Armenianism, you like to use this to demonstrate that you can fall away from your sin. People that are into Calvinism like to dem- use this one to demonstrate that uh, our eternal security, that someone who is, is saved can't fall away. And, and what they do is, is if somebody that has fallen away, they say, well, they were never really saved to begin with. They were just pretending. And what this, the writer of Hebrews is actually saying, if we look at the full context of several chapters here, is he's saying you can't go back to trusting in the sacrifices that were once made, the, the blood of bulls and goats, of sheep. That's not what God was getting at. Those are a mere shadow. I'm talking to you about Jesus Christ who gave his life for our sins, and he's no longer dead in the grave. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for us. Hans, you were talking last week about um, what if I could tell you that in the end you're going to win? I think that's kind of how you said it. That your life is going to work out. It's going to be okay. What if I could tell you that? You know, and and no matter what you're going through, that it's going to work out. And that's it's hard to hear that sometimes when we're in the midst of a great difficulty. It's hard for us to be able to grasp that and be able to, to deal with that because sometimes we'd rather kind of grovel in our, in our mess up. Is it, anybody else besides me ever do that? Where, where you're like, man, I'm screwed up. Man, God must hate me. I'm such a jerk. Some of you probably never done anything like that. But, but um, you know, I think God's impressed sometimes with my groveling and... and and then I realize when I read scripture, no, he's not. Because you could make a teaching also that when we grovel, when we do those things, when we try to self-sacrifice, the only thing we're doing is going back to the old system and trying to impress God with a system that he said, that is a mere shadow. I brought to you the real deal. Trust in the real deal. Yeah, but I'm just not being a very good Christian. Stop! Because your ability to be a real Christian is not what's at stake here. My son took care of that for you. Isn't that good news? And so, when we leave the discussion of these elementary principles of Christ, he's saying, he's saying, 
let's go on to perfection. Let's go on to knowing more and more. And, and um, <laughs> it's, it's really strange because in chapter 7, I know I'm jumping around here quite a bit through Hebrews, and I'm certainly not doing what I would probably prefer to do. But if you guys could look at Hebrews chapter 7 with me for a moment. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And, and I, I need to stop and, and make some comments as we go through here. They're not saying that Melchizedek didn't have a father or mother. They're saying there is no record of it. And in that, there is a type of Christ. There, there is this begin, there's without beginning, without end. He's, he's saying there's something going on here. And Melchizedek, just as he was not of the priesthood lineage of Levi because Levi came from Abraham. Here's Melchizedek who just shows up on the scene in Abraham. Well, why don't we turn there? Why don't we turn to Genesis for just a moment? We'll come back, by the way, to Hebrews. Turn to Genesis chapter 14. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give you the background of the story here. So there's uh, Lot and Abraham. Uh, Lot is Abraham's nephew. They have went down and uh, they have settled in the promised land where God said to Abraham, this is where I'm going to give your, um, all of your, uh, the people that come from you, I'm going to give them this land. This is, this is my promise to you, Abraham. Cindy, you were just there, weren't you? It's pretty fun. Yeah. And so um, Abraham and Lot are living there, but they start to, um, they're blessed. And they have a lot of cattle. And they have a lot of people. And, and it starts being where Lot's people are fighting with Abraham's people. And Abraham and Lot get together and say, this isn't a good thing. Lot, where do you want to go? You pick, and wherever you pick, I'll go the opposite direction. So Abraham honors Lot by giving him choice. And it says that Lot looked, and he, he saw this area, and we know that the area that he chose to live in was near Sodom and Gomorrah. I think maybe you might remember a story about Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so here he is. Lot is living there. And these five kings, and if you guys read through it, have fun pronouncing some of their names. I just finally decided that the one, one king was going to be called King Cheddar. So you got a big long name there, and, and I don't know what, what's up with that. And then there's title, King of Nations. and So there's basically this. There are four kings against five. 
the four kings come in, kick the rear ends of the five kings that are there, and end up taking Lot, all of his stuff, all of his people. They take all of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They are basically carrying back all of this loot, all of this people, all of the animals. They, they are wealthy all of a sudden. They, they have all of this with them. Okay? Word comes to Abraham, this happened by somebody that escaped from, from Lot's household. He comes and says, hey, your, your nephew uh, has been taken captive along with his whole household, all of his belongings, everything. If you guys read right there before where we're going to pick up in, um, we're going to pick up in verse 18, what we know is this, that Abraham had 318, 318 servants who were born in his house and who were trained. Now, I don't know what kind of training they had, but these guys had to be bad to the bone. I mean, seriously, because 318, it doesn't give us how many numbers that these kings had with them, but the four kings were able to totally wipe out the five kings and all the people that they had, and so then they're carrying all of their stuff off away, and Lot ends up being collateral damage, and he's being taken away along with all of his people, and Abraham has this bright idea. Hey, I've got 318 people. We're going to go rescue my nephew because this is called family. And we're going to go take care of our family right now. And it says, if, if, if we pick it up, uh, in fact, we could pick it up a little bit early here. It says that he divided his forces in verse 15 uh, against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot, or his nephew Lot, and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of King Cheddar and the kings who were with him. Okay? Here's this story that's being told in Hebrews, and it's right here for us. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Who does that sound like? Brought out bread and wine. Didn't we just have communion here last week? Bread. We use juice, grape juice. So he brings out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And it says that he gave him a tithe of all. In other words, Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of all that they had taken back from the enemy. So he's giving a tenth to Melchizedek. This is before the law ever came through Moses. This is before tithing ever was implemented as law. This is, this is something that's coming to pass here. And it says... Um, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. And he names those people. Let them take their portion. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7. Because the writer of Hebrews is using this story to say that Jesus is so much better than the shadow of things. Let's pick up in verse 4 again. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Who blessed Abraham? Melchizedek. And so he's saying here, there's a blessing because Jesus, it'll go on here to say this, that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek because it's going to explain something, and I'm just telling you guys in advance, it's going to explain something to us that Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. He's he's, uh, arose from a tribe that's never had any priestly duties. He's coming from the tribe of Judah, which I think is cool because Judah means praise. So this priest that we have forever is coming from the tribe that means praise. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Who are we blessed by? Jesus, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. And I just want to say to you guys, um, this isn't a message on tithing, but I'm, I'm going to make this little note here. where What he's saying there, the writer of Hebrews is saying two things there. He's saying that the, the Levites received the tithes from the people in, under the law, but there Melchizedek received them. But if you carry that out further as they go, that we don't tithe for the law. We tithe to honor Christ. We don't give a tenth of that which God blesses us with to jump through a proverbial religious hoop to perform. We tithe to say, Jesus... You're worthy of all I have. It all belongs to you. So he paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still on the loins of his father. He's talking about Levi paid tithes. The one that was receiving tithes later on is actually paying tithes because he's still in his father Abraham, so to speak, for he was still on the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, 
And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For God testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, in most cases, a priest became a priest by oath and also related to where they were from family-wise. Jesus became our high priest because God took an oath and said, you are a priest. Are you guys seeing that this is much better? That, that, that what we have is a tremendous salvation, and that's one of the things that I was... I was sitting over there last Sunday when Hans was preaching. I was like, amen, yeah, bring it. You know, I was like, because Hans was pretty excited and trying to get it across. And, and we talked afterwards. And he said, do you ever feel like people aren't getting it? I said, man, all the time. <laughs> because if we could catch the revelation of how great our salvation is, we would not wallow in feeling like, man, I'm such a lousy Christian. We wouldn't settle for that because we would want more of what God has for us. We would respond the same as John the Baptist and say, I must decrease, he must increase. We, we would have that heart. But it goes on to say, for on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. And, and let me just say that a better way of saying that would be there's a nulling of it because it could not meet the goal. The goal was for us to be brought back into relationship with God. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what's, what's the difference between religion and Christianity? And I said, the difference is religion is man's reach for God. Christianity is God's reach for man. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning or the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And, is, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, for he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn, sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant a guarantee of a better, government, or, uh, better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. How much can he save you? The uttermost. <laughs> I, think, I know uttermost isn't one of those words that I use every day. But it says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he, is, he always lives. He always lives. He always lives. Kenny, do you have a stuttering problem? No. Well, maybe a little bit. But he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for Debbie Robbins. He is always there. I, I, we used to sing a, a song many, many years ago in church, Jehovah Never Sleeps. I've got, I got to tell you guys, Jesus is never asleep at the wheel. 
Jesus is all ready to make intercession for you. He's always there. For such a high priest was fitting for us. <laughs> Isn't that great? You guys catch that? For such a high priest was fitting for us. This was the right thing. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become, a, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer a sacrifice first for them, themselves, his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. <laughs> now we can't stop there because we have to go on. Now, the, this is the main point of the things we are saying. Don't you love it when they get to the main point? We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. It's saying Jesus is there at the real place, not the shadow. And so when I'm struggling with difficulties in my life, when I'm struggling with sin, maybe there's something that, that constantly I'm, I'm just kind of wrestling with, I need to realize that my salvation that I have in Jesus Christ is not me sacrificing myself. My salvation is me coming to Christ and submitting myself to Him. Well, Kenny, I keep blowing it and I keep messing up. Then keep coming back to Him because He died for all your sin. And, and the, the challenge is, and I'm not going to go there right now, but the challenge is some people would say, well, we have to be careful with this, Kenny, because people could take advantage of this and, and they could live, you know, in a very, you know, unsaved way. Well, there's plenty of scripture for that that says that we're to bear the fruits of repentance. There, there's plenty of scripture that says that we're not supposed to go back to where we were. But the first place that really makes a difference in our lives is when we stop cheapening the salvation that's been given to us and we start accepting it for how powerful it really is. And when we have a, a recognition of that, then it goes back to that illustration that I said, then, then for me to sacrifice my dog for my sins is something that tears me up. And it should cause us to realize that our sin should tear us up, but not tear us up in doing this, you know, everybody hates me, nobody likes me, guess I'll go eat worms kind of way. Some of you don't remember that song, some of you do. I learned it at outdoor school many, many, many years ago. But are you guys catching this right now? That, that God is not glorified by me going and having a personal sacrifice time of myself. And then finally emerging and saying, God, I've finally done penance. I'm sure you're impressed right now. And he's saying, no, you missed the whole point. This is my son, my only begotten son, who I sent to pay the price for your sins and who still lives today to make intercession for you. Turn and live. Turn and live. Repentance isn't just a matter of, uh, I thought I'd have a change of uh, mind and, uh, you know, turn around a little bit. No, repentance is having a change of heart, mind, and saying, I don't want that anymore. That is a counterfeit at best of what God wants to give me. I want to turn from that and pursue Him. 
Amen? You guys, I could, I could read so much more in Hebrews. It's just so rich. It says later in, in chapter 8, I will put my laws in their minds. This is, this is what Jesus is doing right now. Riley, it, it tells me in Hebrews right here that God's plan is to put his laws in your mind. I don't know if you feel this way, Riley, but sometimes I feel like, God, could you like hurry up the process because the, I'm not getting it. And he says, I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember... How do we do this? And, and if you go through chapter 10, you'll see that animal sacrifices were insufficient. He's this, the writer of Hebrews. We don't know exactly for sure who, who wrote Hebrews. The man, the guy had a grip on what the gospel was about. He understood that people in, in the church were starting to go back to a sacrificial system. He understood that today, we still tend to go back to a sacrificial system. I'm not doing enough for you, Lord. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And that is exactly the same as a sacrificial system. If there's a problem, then submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You won't do that as long as your salvation is something that's cheap. And I want you to understand something. God did not purchase a cheap salvation for you and I. The salvation that he has invested in us is beyond our ability to fully wrap our mind around it, but we still can try. We still can learn. We can still dig in. And I've been following Jesus for quite a few years now, and I'm still getting blown away by it. Well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to get blown away by it. No, we're all supposed to be blown away by it. And what it comes down to, if you continue reading in Hebrews, is it's faith. By faith, we understand. Well, I just blew it. Yep, by faith, you're going to turn back to God and you're going to say, I just blew it. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for your healing. Help me to move on. <laughs> Chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, <laughs> let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners 
against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I love this one. You have not yet resisted to, the, to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If we could go back to Melchizedek and we could realize that Abram brings a tenth of the spoils to, to Melchizedek. And, and I want to close with this. Church, what we need to do is realize that there's something completely tweaked in our, in our mindset and how we follow Christ that oftentimes we're bringing the tithe or we're bringing ourselves hoping that we get something, hoping that, that you know, God, you're going to give me this. And he's saying, I gave you all. If you guys read the first chapter of, if, if, of Ephesians, it says that we've received every, every, from, to me, means all, right, every blessing that God could give, he gave us in Christ. And so Melchizedek is receiving this tithe from Abraham, or Abram at that point in time, it's before his name changed, and, and then Melchizedek blesses him But church, the reason why he's bringing that up in Hebrews is he's saying the same is true of us, that Jesus brought bread and wine. He brought his body. He brought his blood. And we come and we say, Jesus, I give you my all. I have a note down here where it talks about, I just read it, it talks about being illegitimate and not sons. I, I wonder, I have a little question here that I wrote, are there illegitimate Christians? No, but there are illegitimate people posing as Christians. And unfortunately, it's true in the church these days because people are are still playing games with sin instead of recognizing he paid it all. Now, do I still have a problem with sin? Yeah. But here's the difference. I'm not practicing sin. If you guys want to 
read about this. Read 1 John because 1 John makes the point about this. We practice righteousness. You guys ever heard that before? Practicing something? How about practicing medicine? Does a doctor always get it right? Practicing law. Does a lawyer always get it right? No. But I would rather practice righteousness and not always get it right than to practice lawlessness and be without Christ. So recognize that when you're struggling, that doesn't mean that you're a loser and you're a jerk because Jesus paid the price for all your sin. So align yourself with the enormity of that gift that God has given you and say, Jesus, you can have all of my life. Because that sanctification, and I wanted to read that, but I lost that verse right now, but that sanctification is the process by which His will is being accomplished in our lives. Man, that's, I, I hope you guys are getting a hold of that. It's big stuff. Our God who is so for us, I love, what can man do to us? Well, they can kill us. They can make fun of us. They can make our life miserable. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not keep back even his own son? but gave his son so that we could be saved. Lord, help that to sink into our hearts this morning, that, Lord, you paid the price for all our sin. That, Lord, the goal is not for us to grovel in defeat, but, Lord, the, the goal is for us to come boldly to the throne of grace and to receive those things that you have given to us. Lord, on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis sometimes, Lord, where we're struggling with things, we're... We're being tempted. Lord, help us to, little by little, continue to submit our lives more and more to you so that, Lord, we're not being conformed to this world, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can prove what your will is, God. It is at the cross it is at the cross of Jesus Christ where we realize that it's not the blood of bulls and goats that you desire. It's the perfect sacrifice of your son who came and was tempted in all things and yet without sin. And he gave his life freely so that we could be redeemed. Because your word also says, Lord, without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. The blood of your son was shed so that our sins could be removed. Lord, not just covered. In the Old Testament system, they were covered. But in the New Testament system, you have removed not only our sins. Lord, you've not only removed the penalty of sins, but Lord, you have also removed the power of sin in our lives. So Lord, help us now to grow in that and to grow to the point where, Lord, we want more of that meat of your word. Not to just go through the same repentance and and baptisms and everything, but Lord, to grow into being everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.
Amen.